That was Jared and Jennifer Huntley, and they are just two of the missionaries that serve with the North American Mission Board. Right now, we're taking up an offering called the Annie Armstrong Easter Offering, in which 100% goes to support missionaries just like them. And as you just saw and heard, they're serving among the military community in Washington, D.C., and it seems like God has used them to start a vibrant church um, among this community. So before we open up God's Word um, to hear it preached, why don't we pray for Jared and Jennifer and God's work through them. I have two prayer requests that they actually gave us to be praying for them. So will you bow your heads with me and let's pray. First, pray for them to have favor on military bases and in the community. And then next, for God to open hearts among military personnel and grow them in their faith so they go as missionaries to their future assignments. Father, thank you for the faithfulness of Jared and, and Jennifer who are serving you in Washington, D.C. And I pray that you would bless their work with much fruitfulness so that they make disciples who then go and make disciples. And other churches even are built up and established all because of their work. Having people in their homes, seeking to go and have conversation uh, with friends with soldiers in the context also of the local church. Lord, I, I just pray that you would give them that favor, that you would be glorified through them and their work. Lord, I pray now this morning that you would give us that same favor to hear your word, give us ears to hear this morning, not just auditory ears, but spiritual ears. Lord, I pray that you would make our hearts sensitive to your word. I pray that you would speak into each heart a message that only you can speak, Lord God. And I pray, Lord, help me to be faithful to the word. Help me to preach um, in such a way that, that glorifies Jesus. And, and through the word, Jesus, I pray that you would draw us to yourself and your heart. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Listen to a, a quote that Oprah Winfrey gave in 2018 for her acceptance speech of a Lifetime Achievement Award. She said this, What I know for sure is that speaking your truth is the greatest tool 
that we all have. Speaking your truth, your version of the truth, and her opinion is the greatest tool that we all have. Of course, if you've listened to Oprah over the years, you know that has become somewhat of a motto for her. She, she uses this idea of speaking your truth in all of the interviews that she gives, which almost seem like counseling sessions if you have ever watched them. And many, if not most people today, subconsciously or intentionally live by this motto, living out your truth or finding your truth. And there are many catchphrases that go with this. Find yourself. You be you. Do what you believe is right. Find your heart. You do what you feel. So we, we have lots of catchphrases that go with that. But at the same time, just finding your truth or being your authentic self really lead us to freedom. Really lead us to peace that I think we're all looking for, that we're all searching after. And what happens when finding your truth or your version of the truth hurts people? What happens when a dad decides that living out his truth is going to find another lover or leaving his family behind or maybe even a new gender or when a wife decides to leave her husband because he no longer makes her happy anymore according to the version of her truth that she wants to live by. Well, this morning, I wanted to examine some scripture about where true freedom and truth is to be found. Can our own version of the truth really set us free to live our dreams, to, to satisfy the longing of your heart? Is, is Oprah Winfrey right? Well, if you haven't picked up on it yet, I don't believe she is. In fact, I know that she is not right. So to do that, let's examine what the scriptures have to say. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. Let me set the stage. Uh, Jesus has already been arrested. We heard that preached two weeks ago where he was arrested in the garden. And then subsequently... He was taken and he was questioned first by the religious authorities in Jerusalem. Members that made up this body, which is called the Sanhedrin, including Caiaphas, the, the high priest. So they asked him their questions, and it was sort of like just a formalized version of a trial for them. They had already made up their mind about what they were going to do. They wanted Jesus dead. They were jealous of Jesus and they wanted to get rid of Jesus. But they, they questioned him. They went through all of these formal proceedings. Nonetheless, but even at that, they could not, because they did not have the authority 
to get rid of Jesus, to have Jesus killed. They needed a higher authority because they were governed by the Romans at this point. Israel was governed by the Romans at, at this point. So they took them, took Jesus to the Roman governor's palace. His name was Pilate. And they wanted Pilate to question Jesus. They wanted Pilate to do what they wanted to happen to Jesus. And Pilate did question Jesus. But upon questioning Jesus, he quickly made up his mind that Jesus did not do what was alleged by the ruling body here of the Jews. Um, he, in fact, Pilate was not really concerned about what they were concerned about. They were, they were accusing Jesus of blasphemy, and, and Pilate was just like, well, you go and see to him as you see fit according to your religion. That's not me. That's, that's not any of my concern. So that's where we pick up on, in on this conversation. Pilate had just got finished speaking to Jesus. And, and now he's going to go out and he's going to present an option to um, to the people. Let's read three verses this morning. John chapter 18, verses 38 through 40. John 18, 38 through 40. What is truth, said Pilate. And after he had said this, he went out to the Jews again and told them, I find no grounds for charging him. You have a custom that I release one prisoner to you at the Passover. So, do what you want me to do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they shouted back, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a revolutionary. This is God's holy word. What is truth? That's a comment that Pilate made right at the tail end of his questioning of Jesus. Now, in my opinion, Pilate wasn't on a serious investigation about that question. I don't believe he was really concerned about learning exactly who Jesus was. If he did, he would recognize he had the truth, the way standing right in front of him, and he did not even recognize it. Personally, I believe he said that very cynically. I believe Pilate was a pragmatist. He had a, a problem in front of him. He did not have a good relationship with the people that he governed, the Jews, and especially those Jewish leaders that made up this Sanhedrin body. He'd been in this role in Jerusalem for, for seven years, pretty short time. Right after he came, he decided to move his army battalions from an area called Caesarea right into Jerusalem. And as they moved, they brought with them all of their standards of Rome, which 
were sort of like the emblems of the empire, which had pagan symbols on them, uh, names of different Roman deities on them, and then shields, which had the emblem or the image of the emperor himself, whom many Romans worshipped as a god. So as the soldiers came into Jerusalem, they took house right near the temple, within eye shot of the temple. And the Jews just went berserk. They could not stomach this. And some of these leaders went to Pilate and said, this is going to have to change because we would rather die than allow you to lead these standards right beside the temple itself. So now fast forward seven years, and there's other conflicts that happen uh, between then and now when Jesus is on trial before Pilate. And things are at a boiling point between Pilate and the Jews. Pilate had a problem on his hands. He didn't believe that Jesus had done these things that he was accused of. But at the same time, he wanted to pacify these leaders. He didn't want any more trouble. He didn't want riots. That was one of the, the biggest jobs of being a Roman governor. They just did not want these conquered people causing trouble. They did not want uprisings. They wanted things to go quiet. So Pilate was working out in his brain, how can I settle this and calm things down again? And then something came to Pilate. There was a custom, he remembered. There was a custom a custom of releasing one prisoner for another leading up to the Jewish Passover time. So quickly he called for another prisoner to come out, and the prisoner that was brought out was a man named Barabbas. He was hoping for an exchange. He was hoping that the, the people would clearly not want Jesus to be crucified over this man, Barabbas. And he was sort of banking on it because Barabbas was just that bad. In some Bible translations, it reads he's the robber. Um, in other translations, the one that I read out of, it calls him a revolutionary. But the term that, that best describes him in the way that we would communicate it today is a terrorist. This man, Barabbas, was a murderer. He was a violent insurrectionist, at least from Rome's point of view. And he was a repeat offender. For us, this would have been like bringing out like an Al-Qaeda terrorist. This was not a good man. This was a bad dude. And Pilate was like, well, it's, it's clear in his mind who the people are going to pick. He had heard some about Jesus and the good works and the miracles that he had done. And surely the people would side with Jesus. 
rather than this man, Barabbas. But that's not how it happened. So they bring the prisoners out by custom, and Pilate goes and sits on his seat, his judgment seat, his, his, his bema seat. And he calls out to the crowds, who do you want? And they start calling back. They shouted, not this man, but Barabbas. And in Luke's gospel, they also cry out, crucify him. Crucify him. So clearly they knew what they were doing. And they knew where all of this was headed. And honestly, what I find so astonishing in all of this is the depth of the denial of the truth. And how tragic all of this is. Here you have Jesus, whom no one could make a credible accusation against, whom had spent the last over three years doing nothing but good all across Israel, healing people, glorifying God, comforting the grieving, feeding the hungry, releasing people from spiritual chains. The people know this and deny this. And it's tragic. They yell out, crucify him instead, rather than release him, which should let us know in all of us what's in our hearts, what's in our broken self. The distortion of sin goes deep within us. Because, make no mistake, if, if either any one of us were there that day, we would have done the exact same thing. We repress the truth. We deny the truth, even though it's right there in front of us. And here you have Jesus, the pure and the spotless one standing next to this violent criminal and the people choose the violent criminal. And in this, what we need to learn this morning, if we give in to our, ourself, our own version of the truth, which by the way, is not truth. We're not finding the truth. We're denying the truth. Jesus told us where to find truth at. And he pointed at himself. There's some people who mistakenly claim that, that Jesus didn't call himself God. But how are we supposed to interpret those statements of his like this? I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by 
me. He makes this claim, an audacious claim, to say the truth is not found in you, it's found in me. And if you want to have a relationship with the one true God, it's got to be through me, mediated through me and what I've done for you on a cross. Let me just share with you three other statements of Jesus that tell us where to find truth and how we can't find truth by just looking from within. Luke 9, verse 23, there Jesus is calling his disciples and he's saying, if anyone would come after me, meaning if anyone wants to have a relationship with me and with God, they must first deny themselves, take up their cross, and then come follow me. So they're right out of the gates. Jesus clearly shows us that the way to life and peace isn't through self, isn't through embracing our own version of the truth. It's through denying self. It's through turning away from the inward distortions of sin within us. And then taking up our cross, meaning embracing the will of God and then going and following him. And then elsewhere, Jesus says very clearly. So he tells us first in Luke's gospel that that truth isn't found in us. We've already heard how in John's gospel, and this was just right up before the events of this trial that we've heard from, he was gathering his, his disciples to have a very intimate dinner with them what we call the Last Supper. And this is the context where he says, I am the way. One of them speaks up and Jesus is telling his disciples, I've got to go away. And they're just heartbroken. And one of them speaks up and says, show us the Father. And Jesus says, I've been with you all this time and you still don't know how to get to the Father. And he says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you have Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know the Father. You know the truth. So to get to the truth, we deny ourselves. We embrace Jesus Christ. And the result of this, Jesus tells us, If you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you want true freedom in life, it doesn't come through finding your own version of the truth, which is a form of enslavement. Because your version of the truth is always going to change. Your your feelings on the inside are always going 
to change. The goalpost is going to always be moving based on your life experiences. Just think back when you were younger to where you are today. What you feel was right back then, I'm sure is much different than what you know to be right today. We aren't ultimates. We're always changing. We're always different than we were before. God is the only constant. God is the only unchanging one. This is why we desperately need him as our rock. Him as the one that we stand on. So what do those statements by Jesus tell you about where truth can be found? Can you legitimately continue on this road of self-discovery, trying to find yourself or trying to follow your heart or do what you feel is right in light of Jesus and what he has commanded to you? What does Jesus tell you about the dead end of trying to find your own version of the truth? What our culture doesn't get is that the problem is actually in us. What our culture doesn't get is the problem is in us. Everywhere you look, Basically, every message source that is coming at us today, it all boils down to self. Elevate self. Satisfy self. Follow self. And what our world doesn't get is the problem is self. The problem is we're sinners. Rather than going God's way, we've all chosen to go our own way. And we become lost like sheep without a shepherd. We're stumbling around in darkness and we're denying the light. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, We suppress the truth in our own righteousness. So rather than looking to God and his truth that he's made plain in creation, we suppress the truth. We don't want the truth. I mean, that's why Barabbas and Jesus can be standing right in front of a crowd of people and they suppress the truth of who Jesus is and go with Barabbas instead. But lest we look at them with an air of superiority, that's exactly what we do every single day whenever we sin. We say, God, I know better than you. God, I'm going to shape my life however I want to shape my life. Your will, your commands, your desires for me don't matter to me as much as me. I'm going to do my own thing. We believe mistakenly that's going to work out. 
but yet the wages of sin is death. It always leads to disaster, brokenness, and pain. But there's some startling news here. It was through those same screams of crucify, crucify, that God brought about the salvation of the world. The late John Stott, who was a former uh, pastor in England for decades, he once said this. I think he said it about as good as anyone ever has said it outside of Scripture. He said this about the cross. He said, sin is man substituting himself for God while salvation is God substituting himself for man. Let me unpack that a little bit. Sin is man substituting himself for God. It's us trying to be our own rulers and saviors. That's what sin is. Sin is deciding that I have better things to do than to follow you, Lord God. We try to be God. We try to claim the throne for ourselves, at least to rule ourselves. All while God sent his one and only son, the priceless son of God, to substitute himself for man on an old rugged cross. To take the punishment that was due us. And then not to stay in that old grave, but to rise victoriously from it. So the gates of eternal life can be opened up for you and for me. And then John Stodd continues on and he says some other ways that describe it. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. While God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be on a cross. Man claims privileges that belong to God alone, while God accepts penalties that belong to man alone. Truth cannot be found in self. Truth, and with it, true joy and true freedom and true peace can only be found from turning away from your sin, from denying sin and self and trusting in Jesus who laid his life down for you because he loves you and he wants you to know the truth. We mistakenly believe this lie that somehow God is trying to rob us of life. We mistakenly believe the lie that we can have a life that's fulfilling, a life of joy and peace apart from God. But we see on the cross where that leads. It was there that Jesus took the punishment for us, but make no mistake, if anyone continues down this road, Jesus said there's two roads. There's a narrow road and there's a wide road. The wide road leads to destruction. 
The narrow road leads to life. Make no mistake, if you continue down this wide road of your own version of the truth, rejecting God, then you will take your own punishment. You will take your own judgment from God that your sin rightly deserves. All while Jesus is calling out to you, sinner, come to me. I've already taken that for you. But the only way that you can have that life and peace is by turning from your sin to trust in me. Have you trusted in Christ like that? Do you have an authentic relationship with him where his word actually matters to you in your everyday life? Where you're seeking to be his disciple? Where that verse that Jesus said in Luke 9.23 describes you in some way. I've denied myself. I am daily taking up my cross and I am following Jesus. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. Now, does that match you in some way? No, you don't have to be perfect, but you do have to be a follower. Are you a follower of Jesus? Does faith play a a role in your actual life this morning? And to close out, I want to share an invitation with you that, that God has given to us all. He invites us to build our lives on the rock. And there in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Let me tell you this morning, a life built on self is a life built on the sand. And in the end, it is going to collapse. It is not going to hold up and it is not going to give you the abundant life that you think it will. It's not going to go the way you think it will but a life built on the rock of Jesus Christ and his words will. Let me finish with just one last thing that comes to mind. Jesus said that anybody who hears his words and acts upon them is like a man.